Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord held a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us, that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. Here ends the Old Testament reading. Please take a seat. And it's great to be uh, back uh, here with you this morning. It's just lovely to come and gather with our church family here at St. Joseph's after our um, our little holiday as a a family uh, the other week. And I'm hoping that that's how you feel about coming here. And if you're new, I especially hope that that's how you feel, you'll come to feel about coming to St. Joseph's week by week. I'm also hoping you're as eager as I am to get stuck into this book of Jonah as we start this new series this morning. It'd be really helpful for you to have that open in front of you uh, in the Bibles. Um, it's, a, it's one of the most famous uh, Bible stories that there is, isn't it? It's a classic Sunday school story of Jonah and the whale. So in order to focus for that, as well as having Bibles in front of us, I thought it'd be great to have a little quiz about fish. So, are the following statements true or false? Here's number one. 
To this day, in Oklahoma State, USA, there is a law that forbids you to give alcohol to fish. Is that true, or must it be false? True or false? It is true. It is. Um, number two, I used to eat fish fingers raw from the freezer when I was at university. Is that disgustingly true, or must it be relievingly false? What do you think? True or false? True or false? It's true. Sadly. Uh, I still do enjoy a good uh, fish finger, but you'll be relieved to hear I uh, prefer them cooked these days. Here's number three. Um, sharks. Some sharks can switch off their digestive system. Is that true or false? What do you think? What do you think? It's true. It is. Question four, getting a little bit more in-depth here. In 1891, James Bartley was cut out of the stomach of a sperm whale by fellow crew members of the whale ship Star of the East after having fallen overboard and been swallowed by it nearly two days earlier. True or false? True. Question five, last question. In 1926, following this theme, Dr. Rimmer, a well-known research scientist reported that he had met a man who had survived for 48 hours after being swallowed by a gigantic whale shark. He was bald, but slightly yellow. <laughs> well, hopefully you can see where I'm going um, uh, with this uh, by now. As many of us have a big problem with when we come to open up the book of Jonah, don't we? A problem as big as a whale. As for many modern thinking grown-ups... Um, the, this whole business of a bloke being gobbled up by a big fish and sicked up again on a beach, ready for action, is, if you'll pardon the pun, a bit too much to swallow. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's loads, there's loads more. It smells a bit fishy. and yeah, Anyway, we won't, we won't go into all that. But, but basically, the book of Jonah for us um, is a bit like the five days of solid sunshine. It's about as believable as the five days of solid sunshine that myself and my family enjoyed in Scotland last week. Yet just as that little miracle actually happened, I want right from the start of this series to dismantle your incredulity by bringing to your attention those two out of quite a few documented cases of big fish swallowing a man and then them living to tell the tale again. And then I want to push it a little further by pointing out that there is in fact historical context for Jonah. As in 2 Kings 14 verse 25, a prophet called Jonah, the son of Amittai, is mentioned, suggesting that it was a real prophet in a real time and a real place. And then I want to remind you that reading we had early on from Matthew's gospel, Matthew 12, verses 38 to 40, which Tom read for us, where Jesus tr seems to treat Jonah as a real historical figure. But most of all, I want to point out that this book isn't actually about a big fish. So we mustn't let that get in the way. It's not even actually a book about Jonah. This book is about God. And God's power stretches beyond the realms of what we think is natural or possible. He is supernatural by definition. And so we must not make any excuses for the supernatural when we're talking about God. You see, the book of Jonah is not just a crazy a story about a crazy prophet and an even crazier whale. No, it's ultimately about God and his amazing pursuing grace. It's about God's holy stubbornness to accomplish his will for us and for others.
regardless of how hard we try to thwart it. So let's call on God to help us understand the message of this book as we start to open it up and unpack it. Let's pray. Father God, we have read here of a time when your word came to someone and they turned and ran. We pray that as your word comes to us now and over the next few weeks, that you would help us not to run, but to hear and obey. We pray in your name. Amen. So, what do we learn from Jonah chapter 1? Well, let me highlight three lessons from the life of Jonah that I think we would do well to consider in our own lives. Here's number one, the reason for running away from God. Because we all have our reasons, don't we? What was Jonah's? Let's dive straight in at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Do you see that in verse 1? For Jonah, as a prophet of God, he had this incredible privilege of hearing God speak to him directly. He'd probably been a prophet now for about 20-odd years. And that mention of him in 2 Kings 14 shows that he'd been used by God to, to prophesy in a way that, that just massively blessed God's people in Israel. What encouragement is to have your gifts used by God to do a great work. Maybe you felt that as you've been encouraged by your involvement in the church here since we've launched. Or if you're involved in that holiday club across our partner church in Jesmondale or in the summer. Or if you've been doing um, the youth house party this uh, very week just gone. Or then again, maybe for the, very, the many years that you've been involved in faithful, fruitful service of the Lord wherever. Well, Jonah enjoyed similar encouragements in God's service. And yet his story stands as a warning that no privileges or fruitfulness that we have enjoyed in the past can ever substitute obedience in the present. Life is never static. You are either running with God or you're running away from God. And as the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, he chooses to run away. God says go and Jonah says no. And as this map on the screen Shows, God sends Jonah on a mission trip east to Nineveh. And Jonah heads west in the total opposite direction for a club med holiday in Spain. I mean, how does that happen? Well, it's not as if he didn't understand the message. God's word came to Jonah with great clarity. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it, call out against it. I mean, it's not as if he had to get his theology books out to understand what that means. I mean, <laughs> preach judgment, Jonah. And it wasn't as if he couldn't find Nineveh on a map. I mean, it, it was a, a great city after all. It was well known. No, the message is crystal clear. And yet, I think many of us couldn't relate to Jonah here. You see, 
It's not the parts of scripture that we find difficult to understand that bother us so much. It's the parts of scripture that none of us could could conceivably misunderstand. Take up your cross and follow me. Everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Be kind and tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is a really irritating thing about God's words. If it just came to us in the areas where we were seeking to be obedient, it would just be so easy, wouldn't it? But God's word has a way of wriggling its way deep down inside of us to the hidden parts, to the hidden resistance of which there is layer upon layer upon layer in your life and mine. Well, Jonah resists the word of the Lord. And like us, it's not because he didn't understand it. It's because he didn't like it. <laughs> Nineveh was the great capital city of the ancient Assyrian Empire, the kind of world superpower of their day. Um, and they were the most disturbing long-term threat to God's people, the Israelites. More than that, they were like sin city. They were just totally opposed to God and to his word in every way. Why should God worry about one of uh, Israel's uh, fiercest enemies? Why should he even bother about trying to save a people like that? <laughs> I mean, it would be a tragedy if God, heaven forbid, should actually forgive them. Well, as the story unfolds over the next few weeks, we will see that that is exactly the kind of thinking that is going on in Jonah's mind as he rejects the mission and he runs to Tarshish. Jonah thinks that he has got very good reason not to go to Nineveh. And I find that is usually the case myself when I seek to disobey the Lord. I can justify it. So if you see me doing something that I probably shouldn't be doing, sadly, I can cook up a very good excuse as to why I'm doing it. And I find it's not just me. I find that with others as they seek to disobey the Lord. I remember speaking to a student some years ago who argued that getting drunk at parties was, uh, shows unbelievers that Christians are normal and it's a good thing to do. I got to know a businessman around about the same time whose business practices were shady, to say the least. But he told me that that's just a game you have to play to get to the top and that when he got there, then that would be great because he'd be in a much better position to influence other people for Christ. You see, we can justify our actions, can't we? Think of the preacher who won't speak of judgment or, or what the Bible says about money and sex because he doesn't want to put people off. It sounds loving. It sounds really kind. But all those kinds of excuses are actually unbelievably arrogant. As essentially, I won't do things God's way because I think I know better. Well, that's what's going on with Jonah. He didn't believe that God knew what was best for his world. He was like Arsenal fans on the opening day of the Premier League season. Um, if the uh, start of the new football season has caught you unawares, then you may not be aware, um, and you probably don't even want to know, uh, that Liverpool beat Arsenal on that opening day. And in fact, at one point, Arsenal were getting beaten so badly that their fans turned on their manager, and they started chanting, you don't know what you're doing. 
you don't know what you're doing. And seeing as we have a good number of Arsenal fans in the church here, I would like to say in brotherly love as a Liverpool fan, I'm so sorry for your loss. True or false? It's false, it was a great day. But when you resist God's words and you do your own thing, that is what you're saying to God. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. And no matter how well we seem to pull that off, there will be consequences to our doing it. And that's the second thing to highlight here, the consequences of running away from God. As Jonah now goes into free fall, firstly we see he's entirely untroubled by his actions. As the storm rages on in the ship, what is, what's Jonah doing in verse 5? <laughs> he, he's sleeping like a baby. Does he look like a man who is troubled by his conscience? I mean, maybe he was at first. Maybe he had this uneasiness as he arose in verse 3 to flee to Tarshish. Maybe he had this little voice every step of the way as he, as he went down to Joppa. Oh, he really shouldn't be doing this. But that's when fades as he gets to Joppa. What does he find? There's a ship going to Tarshish tonight. <laughs> what, luck? what are the chances of that happening? <coughs> and as they drop anchor and, and sail off into the med, you know, Jonah's been thought, brilliant. This is just going so swimmingly. But little does he realize, swimming is exactly what he'll be required to do very shortly. Yet at this point, he looks at his circumstances and he thinks, I'm getting away with this. And so his conscience is silenced. And once his conscience is silenced, so are his prayers. As who is praying in the midst of this storm? Is it the man of God? <laughs> no. Jonah, once again, he's fast asleep. It's the pagan sailors who are praying in verse 5. What is the most caring thing that you can do for another human being? Well, there's lots of great things that you can do. I, I think to bring someone before the Lord of all heaven and earth in prayer is one of the most amazing caring things you can do. But Jonah, even though he is the source of all trouble for those around him, he won't bring himself to pray for them. And then tragically, Jonah's witness his sons too. For as the sailors draw lots to see who's to blame, and, and, and Jonah draws the short... Uh, well, um, Jonah's drawing of the short straw prompts a barrage of questions in verse 8. And if you work your through, way through the sailors' questions on the one hand and match them up to Jonah's answers on the other hand, you will find intriguingly that there is one question that Jonah doesn't answer. What is your occupation? Well, actually, I encourage people to be obedient to the word of the Lord. Well, he can't say that anymore, can he? As he no longer speaks for the Lord. Don't know if you've ever been on uh, one of these. Um, it's a helter-skelter, and once you've climbed your way all the way to the top and you sit on the edge, usually in one of those kind of hessian bags that they give you, uh, which gives you great confidence that they have to give you one of those, um, you launch yourself off. And once you've done that, there is no stopping you. Ooh, down, down, down you go. And it's a lot of fun. Well, that's what's happened to Jonah here. Only it's not nearly so much fun. Everything that follows his decision to ignore God's word 
speaks of his downward descent. Do you see that? Verse 3, he went down to Joppa. Verse 5, he went down into the inner part of the ship. And then verse 5 again, he laid himself down to go to sleep. He is spiraling down out of control and he doesn't even realize it. For we see here that those running from God become increasingly less alive the farther they run. Have you found that? That when you run from God, you are less alive to your conscience as you wander through life unchallenged? Less alive to other people's needs as you won't bring yourself to pray for them? Less alive to God's calling to speak for him? Because you've turned down so many opportunities in the past that you've just got used to saying nothing. If our witness is silenced, then maybe it's because our consciences and our prayers were silenced first. Well, finally, let me highlight, thirdly, the futility of running away from God. In our house, um, we, we used to play one, one of, one of our old house, one of our, our favorite games to play, um, myself and the kids, um, is a, a game that, with the slightly spooky title of I'm Coming to Get You. Um, so as soon as I um, uh, saw one of the, the kids, I would, I would go, I'm coming to get you, and they would just kind of giggle and, and run away from me ready to be chased. But because our our house went round in a kind of circuit, while they ran one way, I would run the other way. So that no matter which way they went, they would always find me round the corner as they ran into me. And among one of the many helpful lessons that we get from Jonah's story here, this is the most obvious one, isn't it? That you can't outrun God. Wherever you end up, he is always one step ahead of you, waiting for you. We see this time and time again in this chapter. Jonah does, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Jonah does a runner on a ship to Tarshish. And verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Stop! Then the sailors cast lots to see who's to blame for this terrible storm. And Jonah says, silence, see if he can just bluff this one out. <laughs> What's the chance of the law falling on him? Verse 7. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then when the sailors tried to protect Jonah, we get verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And then finally, as Jonah eventually gets thrown overboard and he glugs his way down to the bottom of the sea, even there, God is one step ahead of him. As verse 17 tells us that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I'm no expert in the migration patterns of whales, uh, but I'm fairly certain that you don't usually find them in the Mediterranean Sea. But here we see the Lord's power over all creation which means that he even directs the creatures of the sea do you see you can't outrun God you can run but you can't hide I mean even if you're Usain Bolt you can't get away from him it's futile to even try trying to get away from God is like trying to get away from air it is impossible to outpace his pursuing affections God will not abandon Jonah despite the best efforts of Jonah to abandon him. And he will not abandon the Ninevites despite their appalling wickedness. 
and he will not abandon you wherever you find yourself today, this morning. You may feel right now like there's something, someone pursuing you. You feel this intrigue, this, this pull towards God, and you might not even want it, but it's kind of difficult to ignore or resist. And if you are a believer, then be reassured that once God has you, he will never let you go. He will never let you out of his sight. And he will use all things, even painful things, might I say, to keep you. Because he is determined to love you for all eternity. I mean, none of us like to find ourselves caught up in a storm, do we? But sometimes that is the only way that God can get our attention. We might consider it petulant of God to have chased Jonah when Jonah wanted to get away. And sometimes God's disciplines may seem unkind, even harsh to us, but behind them beats a heart of love. He loves us too much to let us go. So next time you feel that God is bullying you into submission, remember this. If he didn't love you so much, then he would not persist in giving you the divine compliment of so many reminders of his awesome sovereignty. And this is the other big lesson from the first chapter of Jonah as we close, that God's mercy is just massive. As it's not just the size of the fish and what God can do with it that is big here. It's the size of his forgiveness that he would give Jonah a second chance after everything he's done. I mean, it's easy to assume that the storm and the fish, they're they're like some kind of punishment that God sends Jonah for disobedience. But they are not. God sends them not to put Jonah in his place, but to save him. He uses to hunt Jonah down and corner him so that Jonah will repent of his sin and turn back to him. This is an act of mercy from the Lord. You see, no matter what happens, God loves us and he wants the best for us. And no matter what happens, God is in total control. And it is those two great truths that we need to have in place if we're going to learn to trust and obey him in our lives. For if we don't think he's in control, then we'll just do things our own way. And if we don't think he really has our best interests at heart, then we won't obey him when he calls us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. But he is in control. He is loving. So let's call on him to help us to trust him enough that we will run with him rather than away from him. Why not take a few moments to respond to God in prayer yourself right now, wherever you are. Let's have a few moments of silence to do that right now. Let's pray. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.